you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Okay, so we are here with Equa Nsangji. Okay, <laughs> that was a good good shot for me. Um, Equa is the director of Farewell Amore. Mm -hmm. Super exciting film, right? Um, this is your uh, feature directorial debut, correct? It is, yeah. Nice, all, all right. right. Um, you've made several short films, and I actually watched your series, All My Friends Are Married. I did too. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it because I can relate to that because the uh, majority of my friends are married, yeah. actually, and I often feel like the odd person out in the situation. But it was very funny. Um, I was reading that you love to display black love Mm -hmm. in your films and and I and I say black love in the in the sense of because even with this film with Farewell Amore um, the premise of the film is Walter who's been away from his family for 17 years his family finally comes to join him in America yeah. right right um, which is I mean that's a long time but I think mm -hmm. that's a story of a lot of people a it lot is. of immigrants tell me a little bit about um, showing black love in this film in particular yeah um well first of all thank you for having me thank you, <laughs> thank you. really it's a pleasure and an honor uh, to be able to talk to you all uh and excuse me i'm congested today so <laughs> sound a little off <laughs> i normally do um yeah you know i grew up uh my family's from tanzania and east africa i grew up in kenya mm -hmm. and um i grew up at a, in the 80s and 90s watching a lot of cheap British shows and mm -hmm. really cheap American shows. <laughs> just, you know, it was a time where there was no programming that had any African people in it, mm -hmm. even though I was on the African continent. It's kind of like, you know, I try to explain this to American friends. It's like if you grew up watching, you know, whatever was a staple, like the Brady Bunch or mm -hmm. the Cosbys or whatever, mm -hmm. But like everyone was Norwegian, or <laughs> right? And like speaking in a Norwegian language, right? And so your whole reality mm. is seen through the eyes of a completely different culture, mm -hmm. um, and that's the whole gamut of like how people socialize, how they work, how like they interact with each other, mm -hmm. how people make friends, and you know. I knew about proms and I knew about all of these things, but like we didn't have anything that reflected our own lives and our mm -hmm. own cultures at all, even though we have such rich stories. And it's not because there's no production in East Africa. There actually has been a very long history of production and Hollywood mm -hmm. production. But all the stories that have been made for the longest time there have been... Um, stories about white people finding themselves on the backdrop of like the landscape and the right. animals and like you know so like out of Africa and like there's mm -hmm. literally been like 15 versions of yeah out of Africa there's there was a film that was released on Netflix about three months ago which is the same you know idea of like, really woman uh, is like yeah. stressed from her Wall Street job and like goes well, on safari well, yeah and then <laughs> find some like rugged attractive white guy <laughs> That they happens to be, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> like one with nature. Um, like, you know, so there's never like any stories about people. With all the black people on the periphery. Right, right. Exactly. It's like... just kind of like, keep it up, master. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so specifically with like love and relationships and even friendships, you yeah. know, like there was no visual of like what, that looked like you know because we also mostly come from families where our parents are not you know there's pda is not a thing right. in most african communities mm -hmm. where like parents show affection openly to each other so most young people don't grow up with any kind of visual reference of how to have a relationship and it's not to say that we haven't figured things out i mean based on our music and our population people figured things out. oh yeah yeah for sure <laughs> But there's no reference for, like, any kind of softness, any kind mm -hmm. of, like, just softness, other than what white people do. Right. And so, I mean, my father was an artist, so he was a little more expressive than most. Mm -hmm. um, so he's the kind of person who would talk 
glowingly about my mom. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anybody else who had that um, experience. So for me, it's always been, um, I mean, for those reasons, but then also I had a very close relationship with my dad and he's a person who showed me that it is possible to have like a loving relationship mm-hmm. with a, an African man, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just a male dominant paternalistic right you know which which tends to be the stereotype of especially african males or black men is like mm-hmm. they're just like domineering and, right right you know everyone's trying to like save black women and yeah. save african women from <laughs> right. their you know horrible husbands right. and horrible this and oppression and you know right it doesn't quite work that way. I can see a lot of issues with even people that I grew up with where there was so much effort um, put into like saving the girl child and blah, 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 the girl child, but not any kind of influence or um, equal sort of focus put on men mm-hmm. in terms of creating allies. Right. And so there's this huge, it's created this huge imbalance mm-hmm. where... I have, I have, you know, a lot of the women I know, cousins, relatives, friends are like super skilled, you know, and Mm -hmm. like have the education and have the social skills and can cook for a president or cook for a village and can do this and can do that and, you know, work, you know, in a fancy office or sell fruits in the market and kind of like do the whole gamut. But men aren't equally as trained. And so there's this, I find a lot of resentment amongst like young or even middle-aged people where there's a lot of men and women who feel like they can't be together. Mm-hmm. And I find that really, really sad. Yeah. You know, where we are... And, you know, media has a lot to do with that, too. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, the kinds of films that were available mm-hmm. for me growing up. We saw a lot of American stuff, and a lot of American <laughs> media, you know, as we all know, stuff that's been written by white men for Forever. decades yeah. and decades but there's there's a lot of just like conditioning around just like the story of Rambo which we watched <laughs> yeah. every knockoff yeah. of that for years it's kind of ridiculous it's like if super ridiculous it, it's yeah it's, it's like incredibly ridiculous some white guy from the middle of nowhere <laughs> right. who gets dropped in like like the, some ju- jungle. the jungle yeah and has the wherewithal right <laughs> like, <laughs> all of a sudden right. right he knows the terrain <laughs> he suddenly can speak the language right. he can make love to the women he can right. like kill the boar and the like <laughs> and that happens a lot where it's like white men who can just figure things out yeah. and it feels like unless you're a white man you can't possible you can't yeah. have relationships you can't yeah. raise children you don't know how to do those things mm-hmm. and then what it causes is this idea with a lot of women of color where like they have to have a white man in mm-hmm. order to have a successful life in order yeah. to live comfortably in order to yeah. you know have a, a shot at anything mm-hmm. so that's a very long way of saying that I had a very close relationship with my father, mm-hmm. and <laughs> um, and he was a black man that I loved, and um, just showed like that not all black men were just beating their daughters and marrying them off as like right. teenage brides or something. Right. Um, that's something that you don't really get to see. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a female filmmaker, and so there tends to be a lot of expectation that I will yeah. write stories just about women and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah that's which true. is, I love women, and yeah. I have a lot of great female characters in my in all of my films, but I also think it's really important for me to write about black men. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, yeah, that's... because I think that the ways in which black men have been portrayed is very very limiting, mm-hmm. um, and that bothers me. Mm-hmm. So. I oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say as you're sharing the story, how much it aligns with Asian culture, mm-hmm. and I love that it's like not just black love, but like I'm hearing this and being like that hits every part yeah. of my upbringing, uh-huh. my brother's upbringing. Yeah. Like there isn't PDA, there isn't this affection because it comes back to weakness. So right. it's like. I'm excited to see this, and I know about, like, the immigration experience, and, like, there's this big sacrifice, but then such little affection, Yeah. and you're like, I know you love me because you did all this, but you're not hugging me or saying it, <laughs> right. so I'm, I'm just excited to see, like, a, like, a father's point of view of, like, showing right. love. Right, and, you know, hugging and kissing, and there's ways that we've been taught that this is how affection is shown. 
And I think that's what's really cool right now about diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. sort of commitment that's mm -hmm. happening um, in the past few years is that we're finally opening up to the idea that it could be that there are other ways in the world that mm -hmm. yeah. also work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and there's not just one perspective on how everyone mm -hmm. should live their lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I also love that you talk about your relationship with your father. Um, cause in this story, I know there's a daughter. Mm -hmm. So something like the relationship between Sylvia and Walter, is it inspired by your relationship with your father? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I didn't, live away from my father right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean other than when I went to college right um and Walter because of the distance mm -hmm. that Walt you know so in the story Walter left Angola when mm -hmm. Sylvia was you know months old right um so I guess essentially they don't even know each so other so they don't know each mm -hmm. other at all um but I did think a lot and worked with the actors uh, in pre-production a lot mm -hmm. around what their relationship would be like. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, actually, you know, as we were sort of looking for investors and mm -hmm. talking to people about the story and the assumptions of like, oh, well, she must hate him. And oh, she yeah. must be so mad. And there must be this burning anger. She's this teenager who's right. ready to revolt and right. all of these things. And it's like, yeah, but she's an African girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> she may feel angry, but it doesn't necessarily translate to revolting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the way that mm -hmm. it's not, an, she's not an American girl. No. Yeah. Um, so that's not an option that's available to her. Right. Um, whether you think that's how she should feel about it or not. So right. that might be the feeling, but she would never express it that way. Right. But she doesn't know him, you mm. know? So on one hand, she's heard about this man for a long time because her mother's been talking about this person and mm -hmm. he's been supporting them financially and yeah. he's called and he's, you know, yeah. so she's familiar with his voice or his letters or whatever it is, but she doesn't know who he is. So on one hand, she reveres him um, and he's this like mythical magical figure that's finally come to life but on the other hand she's also like well where have you been yeah and why didn't you just come home and do you really love us and i'm not really sure about you and you know so there's very much like straddling those two worlds mm -hmm. which i think are you know true for a lot mm -hmm. of people it's just that i guess in different cultures you express that differently yeah and so i wanted to be very specific about how this particular girl would express that and how he would express to her as well where he's probably excited to meet her and you know knows of sort of her mm -hmm. activities and what she's been doing and she got an a in her classes right, you know, last yeah. month and all of the details but he doesn't know her as a person mm -hmm. and so it's this moment where they're trying to get to actually know each other mm -hmm. and they're sort of like tiptoeing in each other's direction. Mm -hmm. Which is so sweet. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is sweet. And they were really great um, working on those relationships mm -hmm. um, as actors. Um, tell me about your journey to becoming a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how was, when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? I know you were also a professor. Mm -hmm. um, when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Um, I decided fairly early on, mm -hmm. um, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up watching really horrible shows <laughs> as a kid and I would complain about it a lot. Yeah. And my dad would, was finally like, all right, stop complaining. <laughs> Do something about show. it. Yeah. And so like, I will. And so I kind of took it on as a challenge mm -hmm. with, you know, with that like perfect naivete of like, I'll figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. But I had no, I had no, I did not know that there were any filmmakers that existed on the continent. I literally thought like I would be the pioneer for the continent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the whole and, continent. Yeah. yeah. I was that frustrated, I guess. And, you know, I had, you know, because I told you we what, I yeah. we never saw any African anything yeah. or black programming other than occasionally the Cosby show. Right. There was a one late night screening of um spike lee's school days oh yeah that came on mm -hmm. i i didn't understand right. the film itself it was a musical yeah but it had a lot of black people mm -hmm. and in the introduction they said that the filmmaker was a black person yeah so i was like okay i'll find out about him yeah <laughs> 
So I moved to the States. I was living with one of my brothers and I told him, you know, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And he was like, all right. So he took me to the library and I checked out all these Spike's books and I would read these books. And he said he went to NYU. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to NYU. <laughs> so I applied to NYU and I got in. And so I kind of showed up like, all right, I'm here to be a filmmaker. (laughs) Show me what to do. Um, Which was interesting because, you know, most of my uh, counterparts came Mm -hmm. there with like love of cinema and Mm -hmm. a particular kind of like the director that they revered and a style. And Mm -hmm. and I had none of any of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, this was pre-Nollywood. So Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of images of African cinema at that time in the U.S. And so it wasn't until my senior year when I was getting ready to graduate and at that point really just feeling like, I don't think this is for me because nobody really understood what I was trying to do. Right. Every time I would like try and tell a story, like my professor would all be like, I'm not really sure what you're doing. (laughs) People don't make any sense to me. And it just didn't fit the stereotype. And so it was very, you know, that was really disillusioning at that point. And it wasn't until my senior year that... One of the professors in Africana Studies gave a class on African cinema, like the mm-hmm. history of African cinema. And I was like, finally, yeah. I've just been talking to the wrong audience, yeah. you know. And so then it was like, oh, OK, great. I know what I need to do. I just need to make films about Africans and show them to Africans because you people just don't understand what I'm talking about. So I found my audience, which was great. Yeah. Um, and I've been working in the African film space for a really long time. The way that filmmaking works on the continent is Mm -hmm. just it's so open you know you just kind of show up and you're like I'm a director Mm -hmm. I would like to direct something (laughs) and it's like commercials and you know it's just like there's no agents and it's it's not Mm -hmm. as regimented but I was able to practice my craft a lot after school in a way that a lot of my counterparts couldn't Mm -hmm. there's not very many of us who who are still making film who were Mm -hmm. who had the luxury Mm -hmm. of staying in film because Mm -hmm. it's expensive because it's hard because all of a sudden you don't have any health care any longer and your parents are like i'm sorry where yeah because you don't live here here. (laughs) i definitely you know credit being part of the African film space was the way that I was able to stay mm-hmm. in film and stay hopeful. And you, you're an educator at the New School in Brooklyn College. Hey, I am. Yeah. Yes. And what do you teach at uh, at both? I teach screenwriting. Okay. Yeah. So Brooklyn College, they have a new grad film school. Mm-hmm. Um, Fierstein is where I teach, and uh, at the New School is screenwriting three, um, where I'm taking them through like a rewrite of a feature script. Okay. And at Brooklyn. Um, I've had a few classes, but it's mostly like shorts, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a craft in itself itself, how to write a short film. Mm-hmm. In general, what I find with my students is that there's a lot of our culture that's very automated. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of an expectation that you will automatically be perfect at the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah, that is very true. And so people get frustrated mm-hmm. when they're like, it's their first attempt at the script and it's not a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And it's like... No, friend. It's going to take a really long time. You know, this mm-hmm. film that I wrote, Farewell Amor, mm-hmm. I mean, we had 22 drafts of that script. Yeah. yeah. And I tell that to students as a way to encourage them yeah. that it took that much work. Mm-hmm. That is so true that you often feel like, like, oh, this isn't good. Like, I give up on scripts all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Because yeah. I'm like, this is bad. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't even know why I think I can do something on the first try. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Or exhausting. Yeah. Or exhausting. (laughs) That's that's a real thing. Yeah. I think for writers, a lot of that comes about because of working in isolation. Yeah. Writing is the one part of filmmaking that seems to like it, we should be isolated like you need to lock yourself in this room yeah. and and that actually really kills creativity mm-hmm. and i found to myself to be much more productive when i write in company mm-hmm. so i have a group that i've been meeting with for years now and we'll meet on sundays we'll set a timer mm-hmm. um you know 45 minutes and we'll write for 45 minutes and then the, the timer will go off and it's like how did it go it was great it was really hard i fell yeah. asleep i was on facebook <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll set it again for another 45 minutes and, you know, we'll kind of take breaks in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been able to do a lot 
um, by writing that way with mm-hmm. in the company of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I promise you, try it and let me know. <laughs> yeah. I, I will. We Rebecca writes too, yeah, so yeah, yeah, let's sit across from each other and write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should do that more. We don't do that often. We don't. I have a question. Sure. I always wonder this because I feel like um, I've been trying to achieve this. I, I, I want to be a TV writer, and I've been trying uh-huh. to achieve this for quite some time now. And I hear from people sometimes. They say, "Well, I don't ever see you write." I don't ever see you do this thing kind of, you know, like, are you constantly creating or is it like, do you have a period of time, like months where you're not? Mm. I mean, it's not all day, every day. Yeah. You know, I'm not churning out thousands of scripts uh, (laughs) (laughs) or hundreds of scripts a year. Mm hmm. I, I a lot of times like I can't, if I'm not in the proper headspace I can't come up with anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like oh maybe I'm in the wrong field then. But no, I, man. yeah. No. Okay. You're it's good a human know. being. That's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. No, there is plenty of days. I don't think it's humanly possible to be just like popping with ideas all day yeah. long. There's times when you're just exhausted. Mm-hmm. We're not robots. So before we let you go, I just want to know, how's your Sundance experience been? Sundance, it was a little unexpected. I mean, we were accepted into the um, development labs Mm -hmm. first. And that was just kind of like, really? Yeah. (laughs) Me? Yeah. I had kind of stopped even applying at some point. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Sundance is amazing. um, And the kind of support, the kind of support that Sundance can afford Mm -hmm. to give to artists Mm-hmm. is like no other that mm-hmm. I know of. Um, and when they talk about like diversity and inclusion and mm-hmm. like widening the brackets and like mm-hmm. bringing more people in and trying to include more stories and points of view, it is like it's not just like a thing that they say in a brochure. They need new stories and they are committed to not just being like, I wish there were stories out there. Yeah, I yeah. don't know where I'd ever find them. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's the kind of work that I've seen Sundance actually doing, like really setting us up so that not only just to write our script and to mm-hmm. create a budget, but so that on the back end, when we finished the film, that we had people around us who could support us in mm-hmm. getting the film to the festival because being at the festival is a whole other animal too. Yeah, can imagine. Um, and I've been to a lot of festivals, but I have not been to a festival like this. Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. huge. It's fast. It's busy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of business and a lot of business that you know. Producer, my producing partner Haria, mm-hmm. um, she was awarded the Creative Producing Award mm-hmm. this Sunday. Yes. Um, yeah, and she's an incredible woman. Um, and we work really well together, but we, this is new territory for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just really, really excited to have mentors and people who've been able to like surround us and care about us and our work mm-hmm. and protect us um, mm-hmm. and bring us onto the stage in a way that we can thrive. So it's been exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what it would be if we didn't have the kind of support that we have. Right. All of our screenings have been sold out since we got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I don't understand <laughs> that. I was actually talking to one of the Sundance people. I was like, I don't understand that because I've never had a film where I didn't have to physically like grab people yeah. off the streets and bring them into right. a screening. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it is a dream. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's really incredible, too, given, like, the history of mine that I just told you, mm-hmm. is to be able to present my work to people that I don't know and people right. that I'm not used to mm-hmm. having in my audience and have them respond to my work mm-hmm. in a way that I've never experienced before mm-hmm. and that they get it. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I did make an effort to not reduce the work to being an explaining Mm. of my culture and explaining of my people and things like that because I don't think that's useful and it worked so yay yeah congratulations (laughs) it did work I can't wait to see it thank you I'm so excited thank you so much for being with us thank you and um yeah when it comes out in in theaters amen yeah everybody gotta check it out (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks so much thank you
So we are here with Fernanda Valadez. Am I pronouncing everything correctly? Yes. Great. Fernanda is the director and writer of Identifying Features. Sinsenas Particulares. Yeah, you're pretty. Ooh, look yes, at me. Yes, Sarita. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, yes, congratulations are in order because your film was purchased by Kino Lorber. Yeah, by Kino Lorber. Nice. How does that feel? We're very excited because Kino owns the catalog of many of my favorite films so I'm, mm. I'm 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 super excited that's so awesome i mean i feel like that's like the dream at sundance you know is to like make that connection how is your experience with other film festivals compared to this one with sundance i know this is your first direct directing your first feature yes i i've had some festivals but none as big as this one mm. so it, it's it's amazing in terms of advancing our career and not only mine or our team mm -hmm. because we've been working together for some time so it really is it's great that's great and i feel like um you know i went to the <laughs> women in sundance um event and i mean there are so many and it's like it doesn't seem like every festival you get that level of representation for women and then there's also a lot of women of color being featured as well does that feel good like have you seen that reflected in the way people have been like responding to you and stuff like that definitely i i believe the representation it's over 40 percent of, mm -hmm. of women and many of us are women that are yeah. not of color no white or from other countries mm -hmm. countries with other ethnicities mm -hmm. And it, it's amazing, even from the programming team, there are many women, and mm -hmm. I believe that's key, because you only have white male programming the festival, then of yeah. course they will like, yeah. Yeah. But, but they know. Tell us a little bit about your journey to filmmaking. Like, how did you decide that you wanted to do this, and that this is something that you could do? It took me quite some time. I come from a small town in Mexico, mm -hmm. Guanajuato, and even though I come from the middle class that that gives you access to, to mm -hmm. education, I never felt that filmmaking was actually feasible. Mm -hmm. And then I, I have a degree in philosophy and then I went to the National University in Mexico City, mm -hmm. and it was until I was in Mexico City that I found there were two public schools Mm -hmm. And that made it possible for me to go into filmmaking because really, in one of them you don't have to pay anything, you have to apply, and if yeah. you are accepted then you made it. And in the other one, the, the one I, I was accepted, uh, you pay around $1,000 a year. So, wow, that's nice. So that's accessible education. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. And like, who were you inspired by? Like, yeah. did you have any <laughs> filmmakers, uh, Mexican filmmakers particularly, that you looked up to when you were growing up? Yeah, I did, and I didn't know at the time that some of the movies of, of the classic Mexican classical cinema were made by a woman, and that oh, was nice. rare, Matilde Landeta, and there's a, an, a grant under her, her name. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it's kind of a common place where Jane came from. Uh, the piano was, um, was blown away when I mm -hmm. saw the piano as, as a young woman, and I mean, yeah, there are m many films that I that I love. Okay, and let's talk about yeah. identifying features. Um, the topic of the film is, I mean, very relevant to what's going on. I did read that you um, you have happened to read an article, and about you know um, migrants and and like the violence and everything else. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Like, can you speak to that experience of like taking action on making this film? Mm -hmm. I felt around 2011-2012 that suddenly it was like waking up from a dream into reality that we were living in a different country. Um, there were very specific events. There was one mass killing in Tamaulipas mm -hmm. where over 60 migrants were found dead. and. They weren't killed by bullets. They were killed by sticks and machetes oh, and, and, and stuff. So they weren't even spared the bullet. And that really changed the way I felt about Mexico. And I, since then, I felt I had to, to tell a story that tried to reflect what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and But also in a way where I tried to understand the cycles of violence because I don't think we suddenly became a country of mass murderers. I, yeah. I tried to, to understand the causes and what was beyond it. I mean, of course, social injustice mm -hmm. and, and inequality, 
Um, so that's what this film is about. Mm -hmm. Did you feel, I mean, I know that it's a fictional film, um, but it's like, I guess like the story, it can be like documentarian in a way. Did you feel like, uh, like any kind of sense of, or, or like nervousness about shedding light on this issue or, you know, any apprehension at all? Worry? Because it was fiction, I, I didn't. What mm -hmm. I was worried about is not to to do it justice. Mm -hmm. I made a short film mm -hmm. as my graduation film, almost with the same story. Mm -hmm. and it was like a first exploration of this. Mm -hmm. And I felt uh, it was underserving of the reality it was trying to, to express. So I, I was really determined to, to mm -hmm. make a, mm -hmm. try to make a better job with, with the feature. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping the reception will be in the US? I know that there's like a, you talked a little bit about um, building some sort of like empathy for migrants in the U.S. because obviously, you know, the U.S. has an issue, you know, with empathy. I've been surprised during the screenings we've had at Sundance that there are so many people related to, to migrants. And, mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. I wasn't aware that even Utah, because I didn't think Utah would have so many mm -hmm. um, migrants or, or, or descendants of migrants, Latino particular, mm -hmm. particularly. And I have been surprised by the presence of the Latino people, and so what I what I expect, as you said, is is to awaken a little bit of, of mm -hmm. empathy and mm -hmm. perhaps a conversation mm -hmm. where we can, you know, discuss issues that are relevant for you and and for mm -hmm. us as Mexicans also. I hope so. Mm -hmm. um, you've made several shorts, and now you've produced and, and directed features. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your process and like is there a huge difference between the process of shorts versus feature length? It is special in the writing, mm -hmm. I believe, because when you go to film school, your, your classes are so focused on making something under 20 minutes, then yeah. when you want to tell something longer, you are like, and then how do I come with another <laughs> 80 pages? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, but then I I have Astrid Rondero, who is also a producer as a co-writer. She has more experience writing, and mm -hmm. it was amazing. I had the main idea, and then she pushed all the mm -hmm. story uh, further, and that was that was great. And in terms of financing, I believe it depends on where you you live in in the United States. Mm -hmm. You depend mainly on private investors. Mm -hmm. That um, that's a, a two. How do you say? Uh, when a sword has oh, double-edged oh, sword. Double sword yeah double-edged yeah. sword <laughs> in Mexico we have mostly public funding which is also a double-edged sword yeah. the good thing about having public funding is that you don't need an established producer because you have your script and then uh, you have someone with you that produces but like Astrid is also a director, so it's, we're more a creative team than a, a production company. So we applied to funds directly, and mm. that's what made it possible for us to, to make features. Nice. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I don't want to pronounce it wrong, Enagua Cine? Enagua Cine. We have two companies, Enagua Cine mm -hmm. and Corpulenta. And well, the names both refer to, to being female. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and Aguacine is my company and Corpulenta is Astrid's. Okay. And so we, we play with them, we uh, apply to funds. The main company in this case is, is Corpulenta, because mm -hmm. Astrid's the, the producer. And what we have done is realize that we can apply to funding ourselves. I believe in, at some point when we're still students, because we, we knew each other from... 2009, 2008, we mm -hmm. were working back then, that no one was going to call us to, to be directors. We yeah. had to do that ourselves. And even though we had kind of successful short films, both of us, uh, we weren't being called for commercials or mm -hmm. TV episodes, mm -hmm. uh, even though some of our male um, counterparts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, counterparts mm -hmm. did. So we, we said, okay, let's do this by ourselves. And we found it first in our cine because um, we made first um, Astrid's film in 2017. And then Cor Corpulenta 
which is mm -hmm. her company. So it's been amazing because now we are getting to develop and produce some other people's projects. That's awesome. really great. So do you guys take submissions and things like that? Like, can people, I, I saw the website, it says, don't be shy, contact yeah. us. Um, you guys take submissions from people. Yeah. That's really, really nice. That's yeah. awesome. Off the heels of that, what advice would you give then to the like next generation of Mexican filmmakers? To to not be shy, just mm. to try to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. As long as we have public funding, I mean, it's our taxes, so you might as well just ask for yeah. that funds. Yeah. And what types of stories do you think um, the next generation should tell? I haven't been told yet. Um, I believe whatever it's in your heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I truly believe that it. Filmmaking, making a film takes so long that the only way you can get through that is that if you really feel passionate about mm -hmm. the story. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe if women like us um, tell stories, and then those stories will be different because we're different mm -hmm. from what's expected. So what do you think is next for you? I mean, of course, this film is about to take off and skyrocket. So like, what what's next for you? Do you have another story, another film lined up? Or yeah. are, you, are we going to see you at Sundance again next year? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I like next year, but hopefully in 2022. Yeah, okay. Um, I always co-write with, with Astrid or mm -hmm. collaborate in, in, in mm -hmm. many ways. And now uh, her second feature is written. We want to go into principal photography by January 2021. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all I have. Thank you so much, Thank Mando. You. We're so really great. excited Thank to you so see much. the film. We can't wait. We're, we're sticking around. We haven't had a chance to see anything yet because we've been so busy. But we're, So we're staying going to see everything. Oh, no. That's starting amazing. today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we are here with Ramona Diaz. Uh, you are actually a Sundance winner. Um, yes. yes, yeah, twice one. over. Twice over, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. She is the director of A Thousand Cuts, which is an awesome documentary about, and I don't want to pronounce the president's name wrong, is it? Uh, Duterte. Duterte, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, president Duterte in the Philippines. Yes. And um, The Rappler, which is a website and like yeah. a news Yeah, it's an on online news site mm -hmm. and really one of the top online news sites in the Philippines. Okay. And they're new, you know, they're the new kid on the block, mm -hmm. uh, run by really four amazing women. Yeah, I saw that. Um, who are like veteran journalists, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the uh, thing that's different with Rappler is they have no bigger business interests, mm -hmm. right? So the journalists own Rappler. Oh, so they're nice. they're more nimble so and like they can yes, and therefore you know they you know it doesn't go up the up the you know chain of command. Mm -hmm. So when they decide, they decide, they decide quickly to go up against the president. They do that, mm -hmm. yeah. I noticed um, from doing some research on you that you tell your stories as a Filipino-American woman. Yes. And I think that is amazing. Um, we all do, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Spirits Rising, Amelda, which yes. was, I mean, great. Uh, Motherland, and even like uh, Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. When I first heard that story, I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, you studied at Emerson and yes. also Stanford. Um, I usually, I feel like at American film schools, I went to film school, um, they usually try to direct you in the the way of making Western films. You know what I mean? Yeah. How did you decide to, to tell your stories, the stories of your people? Because it's, it's what I know, right? It's, mm -hmm. what, it's where I'm comfortable. But I also happen to choose stories that are universal, mm -hmm. although very steeped in its specificity. It's, I think it's right. important, right, to be still very super specifically uh, either Filipino or Filipino-American, mm -hmm. right? But then because of the, I think the nature or the kinds of stories I choose, it becomes mm -hmm. universal. I'm also more really interested in characters. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, right, characters were all human. So the, the choices and impulses are mm -hmm. what make it universal. Mm -hmm. So maybe not the situation, you know, mm -hmm. the, 
there is President Duterte and you're fighting against, uh, maybe it's a bit more universal now, maybe. <laughs> but, um, but, but, uh, but we're yeah. people, right? Mm -hmm. So the urge to fight, the urge to, to be sad, to be happy, those mm -hmm. are all universal urges. I also read that you said that uh, you really do want to make some scripted work. Yes. you keep getting these really amazing <laughs> documentary Yeah, subjects. like before A Thousand Cuts, I was, uh, it was toward the end of Motherland, which was mm -hmm. here in 2017. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in the middle of a documentary, you're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to make another documentary. Because really what you do is, um, uh, and this is not mine, you know, one of my DPs, the way he described it was what, what we do in documentaries, the kinds of documentaries I do, which is like emerging, like mm -hmm. unfolding stories in front of the camera. It's like we go on safari, right? Mm -hmm. And then we watch as, you know, the, the people interact in their mm -hmm. natural habitat. That's mm -hmm. what we do. And sometimes... In safaris, nothing happens. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> nothing may happen for like 10 hours, but one 30-minute period, you get everything. Right. And it's right. worth it. But the waiting sometimes gets, so you're like, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm just going to get, write a script, get actors, okay. get them there. At a certain time, we'll do it. Right? Right, right. But um, so at the end of Motherland, I was thinking, I was ready, ready. Okay, my next is scripted. You know, and then Duterte became president, and then the drug war happened, yeah. and then I kept seeing all these photographs on my Facebook page and my Facebook feed mm -hmm. that I couldn't turn away from. And so you do it because you can't turn away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and because I've, I've built a career right. telling these stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here I am, yeah. <laughs> a year and a half later, two yeah, years later. Yeah. Um, speaking of A Thousand Cuts, uh, the story, I mean, the, the president, I mean, basically he was, he promised that he would be killing, yeah. um, like, is it, is it drug users or what is Any, it? Any uh, drug pushers, drug, drug pushers. users, every drug pusher and drug user and in the country. And then bodies just started piling up in the streets. Yeah, he ran on it. It was yeah. a campaign promise that and he did it. That is a wild campaign promise. <laughs> but he was, you know, he was elected into office yeah. promising that but more than that i think he was promising law and order right, right? right because right. of that and mm -hmm. law and order you are in danger and the people who are um uh, doing you harm are the people who are using drugs it's an easy monster right so, yeah so yeah. he's like i'll just eliminate this part yeah and, and your life will be okay right it's such an easy monster to wrap your head around mm -hmm. and then of course at the end of the day you can't kill people yeah, no. <laughs> right? With, <laughs> with impunity. With yeah. impunity. With no due process. You yeah. can't. It just... You just can't do it. It's, no, it's yeah. not right. Yeah. While you were making this film, I mean, Rebecca... Yeah, so within him being so easy to, to execute that, no pun intended, um, <laughs> were you ever fearful during this production in, in the, within the filming? You know, we were filming uh, Maria Ressa, who is mm -hmm. really the center of the story. She's the journalist who really speaks up against him and mm -hmm. owns, she's the CEO of Rappler. Mm -hmm. So he has made her the target, mm -hmm. right, personally. And she's in danger, and we That's were following her in cars, right? Yeah. Uh, was I scared? I mean, fear was there. Fear was present because how can it not be? Right. But I'm a documentary filmmaker, right? Mm -hmm. I think I imagine like 10 years from now, will I regret not having covered this or not having made this film? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think my imagined regret really mm -hmm. outweighed my fear. Mm -hmm. Right? So you have to do it. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you mentioned, I, at least I saw in a panel, you mentioned that you kind of stumbled upon Maria as a character she kind of just became like this pleasant surprise to follow. Yeah, I've, been, I've known about Maria Ressa for a long time. Mm -hmm. I actually, do we have time to tell you? About yeah, that? please, okay. go for it, yeah. So when I was making Imelda mm -hmm. in 04, mm -hmm. um, Imelda's about the former first lady of the Philippines, right. uh, a famous or infamous for her shoes, mm -hmm. collection of shoes. So um, <laughs> I, it was the first time she had ever agreed to a you know, full-length uh, mm -hmm. feature about her. Um, and she sued us in the Philippines. Oh. Yeah, she, when she first saw the film right before premiering at Sundance, yeah. she had some issues with it, but then we talked it over and she was fine. Okay. But six months later, because we were having a theatrical release, it yeah. was being reviewed by the New York Times, LA Times. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly, and they called her a pariah. So suddenly oh. she saw herself through the eyes of the reviewers and did not like it. So oh. she sued us and my distributors in the Philippines right before we came out in theaters. I, I end up in Manila and the publicist for the distributors said, all these people want to talk to you about the case. Oh. And some... Maria Ressa was in it. Maria oh, Ressa, okay. she was then with CNN. You have to realize mm -hmm. that at that time, Maria Ressa was the face of CNN for Southeast Asia. Okay, she was a yeah, big yeah. deal. Yeah. 
I saw her. I'm like, oh my God, she wants to talk to me. Because, you know, she was a big <laughs> yeah. And someone said, well, yeah, but she has a few problems with the film. I'm like, she doesn't like it. I'm like, I don't want to talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, you don't want to? I said, no, I'm here. I can talk about the case, what it feels like, but I don't want to litigate the film itself. Right. 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 I, just, I made the choices I made. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was so tired by then. It was like the middle of the fe- film festival run, and I'd been all over with the film. I said, no, just tell her I'm busy with the other films. <laughs> and, and then they go, no, you don't understand. <laughs> they said, we always tell other people that you're busy with Maria Ressa. All right? <laughs> I said, no, I just don't. So that was like oh four. So right. many years yeah. later, I'm in her office at Rappler. Right. I'm like, oh, can you make this film? Blah blah blah. Making this film. She goes, yeah. Do you remember like that? I'm like, you remember? She goes, of course I remember. You turned me down. No one turned me down right. then, right? Because she was head of CNN. I said, wow, you remember? And then she still said yes. So I knew of her. Yeah. I knew yeah. she was the loudest voice against Duterte, but I didn't know that she would. Rise is the main character. You know, you, it's, it's such a Zen kind of filmmaking because you follow the story. And mm-hmm. where it led me was that she was the main character because principal photography started in February mm-hmm. of 2019. Okay. I get to Manila February 12th. February 13th, she's arrested. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's your story, right? Yeah. And then you're in the stream with her. And that's how yeah. documentaries are. You go where the story, where it leads you. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, where do you think, what do you think the reception is going to be to the story when it is released in the Philippines? Oh, is it going to be released in the Philippines? I mean, we hope. Yeah. We hope it will be. It'll be interesting to see what the reactions will be. But he is still has a very high approval rating. I can't tell exactly what, but I think it's in the 70s still. Really? Yes. And mm. um, in spite of everything. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he sells fear, right? He sells emotion, like mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. and fear. And We're therefore, with that. yeah, yeah, like we've seen that. In this I don't know what too. you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> it rings oddly true. Huh. I wonder what Funny. you're talking about. Yeah, so um, I mean, I wonder what would happen if somebody made a documentary like this about our president. Because I hope it's being done. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I but mean, the people who are pro Trump, yeah, I well. want to say, <laughs> are going to still be pro Trump. I think the yeah. people who see this will still be pro Duterte. I, I hope yeah. not. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, scary. Hmm. Um, I have some questions about your Sundance experience. I mean, obviously you've been to Sundance yeah. many times before. What do you see? I mean, I was at the Women in Sundance. Oh, you yesterday. were there. Mm-hmm. I was there too. Yeah. So yeah. I saw the list of women directors and, you know, producers being featured. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. How do you see like a, a huge change in how things were versus how they are For now? sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my first Sundance was 04. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, um, I entered headquarters. I was confronted with this big poster of me, right? Because I think I was a like poster child that year, nice, you know, yeah. woman of color and All stuff. Right. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I saw it somewhere else, somewhere else. And then someone pointed, yeah, you're the poster child this year. Yeah. You're the so now I'm not the only yeah. God, but it's changed. Yeah. And there's been a co- really conscious effort. Mm-hmm. I think it's also what's changed here is not only, there's the women in Sundance, which is mm-hmm. really one conversation but there's the latinx house and mm-hmm. the black house and the yeah, asian american contingent you know mm-hmm. so all those things mm-hmm. are happening all yeah. at the same time right and i think that should also not be in silos i think yeah. it should we should all get together Come but those together. are all happening yeah I saw the black house and Latinx house, yeah. and I was like, where's the Asian house? There is no Asian American, but there, there, there is an Asian American, like, main event. Yeah. But we don't have a... Why don't we right. have a house? Soon. <laughs> Stand <laughs> by, man. Yeah. We'll have a Or, like, space. I, I still find my friends are... It's hard for them to choose a creative path. Yeah. Because, like, I'm a first generation. Your parents aren't going to be like go towards this career that, I don't even know anything yeah. about and make no money for a really long time. <laughs> that is an um, Asian-American story, right? <laughs> what was it like for you for, at your first fun- Sundance? Did you tell your parents? Did they know what Sundance my, was? Yeah, my mom was still alive then, right? Mm-hmm. And then she knew I had been making this film, but she didn't really understand, you yeah. know? She's like, oh, okay, dear, that's nice you're making this film. And then she saw it, mm-hmm. right? And after that, she came up to me. I remember walking oh. out. She goes, yeah, she goes, you made that? <laughs> I'm like, Aww. mom, yeah, that's that's 
She was like, oh, that's really nice. They clapped for you. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, mom, they clapped for me. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Did you see the giant poster? And banners. Did you see? <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was really sweet. She didn't realize, because, you know, it's not part of their experience. It's not part of their hopes and dreams for you yes. because it's mm-hmm. such a difficult life. We were actually talking about yesterday about speaking up and like, at least in my circles of my Asian f- friends, there's this fear of speaking up, but that's all we have. Yeah. And even as I was like thinking, like, how do you teach someone to speak up? Do you have any advice for people who might be more shy and more reserved? Like how to get there? Just take a breath, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, because your voice matters, mm-hmm. right? Because I think the, the reason you don't speak up is because you, you it's mind games. You're not, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. What am I saying? Is it true? Is it not true? Is it the right thing to say? Is it the right? If you do that down that road, you'll go crazy. Yeah. So there's no wrong answer, right? There's no wrong thing to say. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is mm-hmm. in any, right? So you just, I used to be invited uh, in the beginning, you know, in my, the early part of my career, invited to j- juries and panels mm-hmm. where oh, I have to speak up and tell them what I thought about someone else's work, right? right. Which is tough. Yeah. Yeah. I used to really prepare. Like the good Asian-American <laughs> kid, I was prepared to yeah. do, you know. And then every, I saw everyone just winging it. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to wing it too. But in the early years, I felt like I needed to say the right thing things yeah right um along the lines what vivian was just saying um about advice what advice would you give to other women of color who are interested in pursuing being a documentary filmmaker just um there's no no one knows anything Mm. right they always tell you ah you know some titled films oh this voice won't sell no one knows yeah no one just make a film right i i know that's it sounds naive and you need resources you need resources right right Uh, it's key i think you know i don't expect i think it's wrong to expect anyone to Mm -hmm. um work for free that's why i I like paying people i think it's just the right thing people have to make a living um, so when I say make your film sounds glib and you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, I think you, uh, mentorship is important mm-hmm. and it seldom happens anymore. Yeah. But there are now, again, mentorship programs. I think mentorship is really key to get mm-hmm. you to those spaces that have the resources. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's your voice, right? Listen to your voice. What do you want to make? Stick right. to that. Because, you know, story, I think form will always follow the story. Right. And really, and when you're there, just mm-hmm. raise someone else up, like um, Effie Brown always oh, yeah. says, Effie right? Brown. Every mm-hmm. branch, like, lift someone else up, mm-hmm. right? That's why I'm, I'm very much into mentoring. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. key. It's yeah. important because I think the mentality of scarcity mm-hmm. is so prevalent that we have to fight, right? Mm-hmm. Because scaling up is much more powerful, yes. right? If you scale everyone up and right, there are more right. of you in the room, yeah. that's more powerful that's than true. thinking, oh, there are not enough resources. I yeah. should just, like, not share it then a few of you are in the room right yeah yeah i heard someone say recently um if all of you are in the at the table then there you don't need to get a seat at the table because exactly. you're all at the table it's like, your table everybody yeah it's it is your, your table, table. Yeah. yeah so it's not a seat at somebody else's table yeah so um unless you guys have any more questions i have one final question yeah. are we gonna get a scripted movie from you yes <laughs> okay <laughs> yes absolutely okay. i want to yes yes yeah, the right, next great. one right okay. okay i really told myself and it is imposter syndrome again because yeah. after at the end of every film I'm I get nervous I'm like oh my god I can I can't do this again right yeah <laughs> I, this is a fluke right every I, time every <laughs> time and I'm like oh my god I can't maybe this is an accident so I always feel like I need something else in yeah. my brain so this is the first time I have nothing yeah but my fiction right yeah. that's what i'm gonna do well we can't wait to see thanks guys this was yes. fun yes. thank you um, yeah and thank you so much ramona for being with us uh, you're awesome um thank you and this is great. i mean even as someone that says that they are a mentor out there i think that's so powerful and so needed so we thank you for that yeah it's needed yeah, yeah. thank you thanks <laughs>